This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. That's a bit of the aria Abomadich from Bach's St. Matthew Passion. The text, which translates as Have mercy, my God, for my tears' sake, is Peter's lament after having denied knowing Jesus three times. If this version didn't sound familiar, that's because you were hearing it in Arabic. Today, we're asking whether your personal religious beliefs have an impact on how you perform or listen to sacred music. In a moment, we'll hear from the head of Soli Deo Gloria, an organization that promotes sacred choral music. Joining us first are K. Scott Warren, director of music at St. Ignatius Loyola Church. He is also the organist and choirmaster at Congregation Emmanuel, both in New York. Also with us is Mark Shapiro, the music director of the Cecilia Chorus and artistic director of Cantori, New York. Scott, I'm going to start with you. If a singer believes in the spiritual ideas in a piece like the St. Matthew Passion, does he or she sing with more passion? I think it's unavoidable that that would be the case. When we're putting a choral work together at Sacred Music in a Sacred Space, we have singers and orchestra members from every religion Uh, you can possibly think of. And so there are occasions where we may delve into the meaning of a text, but we don't go specifically into a lot of theology or dogma about it. What we're trying to do is connect some of the deeper meanings of the text into our everyday lives. We all have common experiences as human beings, and we can all connect with Peter's lament in some way. Does this mean you would not hire a Jewish or Muslim mezzo to sing Abamadish over, or that you would prefer to have a Christian one over a Jewish or or Muslim mezzo? Absolutely not, because uh, we we do have some Jewish members of the choir of St. Ignatius Loyola, and anyone who's Jewish or Muslim has the same human experiences that that a Christian would or a non-believer. And so those are the experiences that we tap into. Mark, what is your feeling about whether your personal belief taps into how you would perform? Well, I think I would piggyback on things that Scott said, but certainly all performing is acting. So in some way, you have to find the motivations in yourself and in an ensemble that project what is in the text. So I think a big part of this, which I think is what Scott is talking about, is the rehearsal process and connecting what are human universals to the composer's encounter with the text. You are both conductors now, but I'm guessing you both spent time as choral singers at one point. How did you feel singing music that was not of your religious persuasion? I actually didn't have that experience. I grew up as a as a pianist and an organist, and I grew up in Texas in the evangelical tradition and was uh, constantly playing in those churches. I think my first real encounter with what you're talking about was when I moved to the New York area about 15 years ago and began working at a synagogue in in Morristown, New Jersey. And I wasn't singing, but I was playing music in modes that I'd never heard before and was encountering texts I'd never heard before. And I no longer uh, consider myself evangelical, but those experiences, I think, deepened 
my sense of faith and my sense of who I am and where do I belong in in the universe. Mark? Uh, well, certainly I did a lot of choral singing and I think, I'm sure, again, like Scott, I love the music. So I think there's something in the music itself. There are energies in all music that we all respond to if we're musically sensitive. And then the kind of experience that Scott is mentioning about performing in a worship context Often, I found uh, for some years I had a job where I worked as the choral director for High Holy Days. And I found that a lot of sort of music that I kind of knew, the whole thing made a lot more sense just because there was so much more context. So I think what you're always trying to do as a performer is to get as much context and understanding of what you're doing as you can. Do you find yourself relating to this music differently as a performer from as a conductor where you're having to lead other people through it? One of the things that I talk about when I work with young singers and with choral singers is what are the things we can connect with specifically. So uh, I always start with the seasons. I think a lot of religious experience has to do with agriculture and the sense of the passage of time and our response to the seasons. When you remind people of that, I think that's very helpful. And especially there's a lot I could say about Christmas in particular, which is, I think, a very complicated holiday to understand. Uh, but one of the things that I cottoned onto a few years ago that's been very, very helpful is that there's a big part of the Christmas tradition that has to do with helping the poor and responding to need and hope. And I found that enormously useful. If, uh, Mark, you're coming from an, the seasonal standpoint, and that's your starting point, my starting point for some reason is the psychology of what it is to be human and to experience the lows and the highs and all of that. I love what you're talking about, and I, I want to uh, incorporate more of that into my thinking. I think where I go is I, is I move to that point where I think of the lowest times of my life and the most exalted times of my life where I feel like I have literally, I have almost died at a point and then be, been reborn. And that's the place that I would go to. So many of the texts that we deal with were written 2,500 years ago somewhere in that time frame, and they belong to a culture that we can only begin to understand only in theory. And so that's very hard for us to wrap our minds around. Scott, you work at both a major synagogue and major Catholic church. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that not everybody in the St. Ignatius Loyola Choir is Catholic. How about Temple Emmanuel? I think we have one Jewish person on the roster in the choir at Temple Emmanuel, and the rest are coming from all different sorts of backgrounds. Uh, some of them have been in the choir at St. Ignatius, uh, so there's some overlap there. Really? Yes. So they had to put up with me three times in one weekend and not just once. <laughs> so when you're performing religious music for religious services, is it an extra added thing than just performing them in concert? when the people are not of the same faith? I don't know. I, I have to confess, I think more about the text uh, when we're preparing for a concert because I cycle through so much liturgical music every weekend so quickly. And it's not that, I, that we don't think about it. I don't really see that much of a difference. My feeling is ultimately if the choir gets it, if they understand what we're doing, if they understand what it is we're trying to communicate, there's no way the congregation or the audience will miss it. I have to sell it to the choir, and then the choir can sell it to the congregation or audience. 
one of the experiences I think can be very challenging. I don't do nearly as much conducting in worship environments as Scott does. But when I do it, I find one of the difficulties can be that the singers, because of the formality of the worship environment, can feel a little hemmed in. And one of the challenges you want to do is to be able to have the feeling of flexibility and freedom that you might have in the secular performance environment and translate that into the worship environment. I'm guessing this is not a gospel choir situation. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking about religious music with centuries-old traditions behind it, but there are also new sacred works being written, of course. Joining us now is the head of an organization that promotes and commissions new sacred choral music in both Christian and Jewish traditions. John Nelson is music director of Soli Deo Gloria, Bach's motto. He joins us on the line from Illinois. Welcome. Hi there. So we've been talking about whether personal faith plays a role in how you interpret sacred music. What has been your experience with performers? Does that play a role in it? Well, I'll just tell you my own my own personal situation. Uh, I came from a very religious background, and uh, sacred music has always been at the heart of what I've done, even though my life has gone into opera, into symphonic world. I still, my first love is all the great sacred works. So I am uh, very much influenced by my background and by my personal beliefs. So yes, I I think it plays a very big part in in my life. And I think, you know, the, the, the choral conductors that I know that either work in churches or amateur choirs or college choirs or community choirs, by and large, these people come out of a religious experience, whether they've carried it with them to this point, um, you know, I, I can't say, but I'd say 95% of these people come out of a religious environment, so they have it at the heart. They have it somewhere deep, and it means something to them. And does that mean that atheists don't sing as with as much <laughs> conviction? Hmm. No, I think atheists that have great voices and love for the repertoire can sing just as well as as believers. Um, but I think if you put them on the same artistic level, uh, I think the believer will bring something because of his association with it, because of his connection, his heart is there. So, yeah, but um, to get to the, the, the tough subject of whether you know, non-believers can sing this music. Well, in a, in a book called Religion for Atheists, Alain de Botton argues that you can separate the aesthetic experience of a religious piece of music from what he calls its theological baggage. Apparently, you would disagree with that. Uh, let's see what, what Scott and Mark have to say. I might say something even a little bit contrary to what John said, which is that sometimes I've experienced that if you have a deep commitment to the particular message of a a text, you may find that to be constricting in your delivery of the text. So there may be, I'm not saying it necessarily would play out that way, but I think it can. So there are all kinds of ways to skin this particular cat. And what you really want to do, which I think everybody is saying, is to be able to be as vivid and as committed as you can to what you're performing. That's what Mark had to say. Scott? I think going back again to the the common experiences that we all have as humans, we are all born, we weren't given a choice in that matter, we're here, and we struggle, we make a living, we love, we are loved, we've experienced loss, all of us, and then we die, we're not here anymore. Those are the things that 
religion is getting at. And atheists also experience these exact same things. I I think in my own preparation, I try to go to that point of tangible human experience uh, rather than rather than religion, because I'm working with uh, people of different faiths and music of, of different faiths, even though those overlap. It would seem, though, that with these pieces, since Bach wrote them with deep religious conviction, one is trying to create in performance a deeply religious experience. Do people come up to you after concerts and talk about having had religious experiences, even if it's not their religion that's being sung about? I would say I think the word is spiritual rather than, sorry, yeah, rather than uh, religious. Some people, I think, might characterize it as religious, but there is a, and I I do do a lot of reading about human universals and music universals, I think, for the same reason that Scott's talking about. And it seems to be a human universal that music is used in religious and spiritual ritual by all societies. So there is some kind of connection that is biological between the use of music for that purpose and that purpose. So I would say spiritual, if not necessarily explicitly religious. John? I I would agree with everything uh, that has been said above. I am right now doing the Haydn creation in a highly religious environment. This is a college from which I graduated, and these kids all come from from a particular segment of of, uh, spiritual life, uh, religious life. Wheaton College? Wheaton College. Yeah, Wheaton College. And (laughs) these kids, the way they sing this music is just, there's so much joy. Uh, There is so much involvement. There's so much, it it is such an exciting electric environment because these people are in uh, in this uh, religious uh, fervor. Now, this might turn some other people off, but I can tell you, anybody coming to this concert is going to be blown away by the joy that these kids give off. Um, and it's not to say that we can't... No, I, I found the same thing happen in completely secular environments uh, when, when people are completely caught up in the beauty and the fervor of the music, whether they believe it or not. The communication gets across. I'd like to turn to the St. John Passion Some people have viewed this piece as anti-Semitic because the work harps on the Jews as the driving force behind the crucifixion of Jesus. Some orchestras have even gone as far as printing disclaimers in concert programs. How do you handle this in concert and also in working with a choir? Mark, let's start with you. Well, you've you've, uh, happened to touch on a nerve there. So St. John Passion is a piece I've never done. I have shied away from it. And I'm not sure how that's going to pan out. There's a conductor named Tom Hall who conducts in Baltimore. We've had talks about this at Chorus America, the convention. And I would probably, if I were to do St. John Passion, I would bowdlerize it and change the words. And we've discussed that at some length. I've also discussed it with Craig Hilla Johnson. We we talk about this from so the Oscar music it, it does not stand on its own enough for you to be well, able to. There, I, I mean, the music is stunning, and I think one of the challenges there is I, I do struggle with the text, parts of the text, and I think Bach is such an amazing composer, and I think all great composers respond to the text. So Bach is a great composer and responds to the text. So the particular portrayal 
can be troubling, and I think we do operate in a cultural context in the real world. We've had this whole debate about the Klinghoffer at the Met that's been very vivid. So you have to make some personal choices there. So St. John, for me, that's a difficult question. Scott? I, too, have not done the piece. I was just thinking about a comment that was made by a uh, Methodist minister friend of mine in, in Dallas many, many years ago. He was talking about a particular passage from the Bible that I now I don't recall what it was, but he said, and it was a particularly violent passage, he said, we have to deal with Scripture, warts and all. And I think if I were to do St. John, I would go ahead and do it. And or St. Matthew. Or St. Matthew. And this is, this is me just uh, thinking out loud right now. I would go ahead and do them with the text that is already there. But I'd like to pair them with a lecture or extensive program notes. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing it unaltered? We could have the debate within the confines of our uh, concert series, and I think it might be very helpful. John? Well, I've done the piece many times, and I've read uh, a lot of, you know, there's a book written on it, on on the subject of the antisemitism of the text. I also have corresponded with someone whose name is now slipping me, but he's a Jewish musicologist in Boston, uh, who has said in no uncertain terms that he feels that Bach was not in any way anti-Semitic. But it's what we bring to it now, after World War II, after so many uh, events in the world that have been troubling for us in that respect. So we have to treat it a little bit differently. And I'm doing it uh, this coming April, and I'm going to proceed it with two things, with a a lecture and a discussion about that subject and a piece in the program. And we are going to do it with the original text. Lucas Foss changed the word Juden to Leute. So Jews to people. Yeah, Jews to people. I think that's doing a bit of disservice to Bach. So I would agree with Mark uh, on this. The flip side of this might be the performance that the Dessauf Choir sang earlier this year, singing the B minor mass in Hebrew, which is sort of an interesting notion. I didn't know about that. That's marvelous. (laughs) Were any of you there for that? No, I wasn't able to go. It, It was sort of an interesting notion, and apparently people loved it. So... That That's uh, the other side of the coil, I guess. Uh, Solideo Gloria is sponsoring an interfaith event in New York on November 21st and 23rd with the choirs of Temple Emmanuel and the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. They're going to join forces to premiere works that your organization has commissioned. What inspired that? Well, that was inspired by our first uh, CEO, who felt that we needed to balance the commissions of very large works for concert situations with something specifically for religious services. And so this this idea came of commissioning 15 composers. We went to Lilly Foundation. They supported it with a hefty uh, grant. And so now we've, we've come... Uh, we, we, we finished. We have 15 composers. Was any attention paid to the religions of the composers? Uh, no, really not. And that's that's a whole 
the subject into itself. Obviously, the composers had to agree to doing something uh, with this in mind. And frankly, now after I've seen all 15 pieces, I haven't seen Victoria Bond's or Paul's piece yet, but a lot of these pieces are so difficult uh, that I'm not too sure that that uh, an average choir can can do it. Well, uh, I can tell you yeah. that both Victoria Bond and Paul Moravec's pieces are lying right here. You're on the phone, but Scott has brought them in. Scott, you are conducting the Temple Emanuel rehearsals yes. performance right now. Yeah. So Paul's piece, I Will Fear No Evil, is uh, a cappella. And we did take some time to look at it last Friday toward the end of our regular rehearsal. And, uh, yes, it's tricky. <laughs> but these, these are both psalms, correct? So these are both from the Old Testament. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, psalm 23 uh, is uh, Paul's piece, and then Victoria's is Psalm 84, How Lovely is Thy Dwelling Place. And she does – she uses a, a technique that I really love, and she uses both English and Hebrew. So Psalm 84 and 23 are are just uh, two of the most iconic texts from the book of Psalms, and these were perfect choices for both both houses of worship. So they can now swing both ways. Yes, we can, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. God, let me just tell you on the air how grateful I am for what you're doing. So do you have any advice for people of any faith or of no faith at all when it comes to listening to and appreciating sacred music. John, let's start with you. Music of the uh, of the sacred uh, tradition should be music full of love. If you get down to the basic commandment that we have uh, from above is to love one another. And uh, so, yes, I think we can all enter into this completely, whether we agree technically or theologically, we can all agree that at the basis of everything is our love for each other. Scott? I can't add anything to that. I think that was uh, very well said. Mark? I agree. It's beautifully said. I, I would add something, which is that you think about the rhythms of your own life. You think about the sky. On December 13th, Cecilia Chorus in Carnegie Hall is doing a, a holiday-related concert, but it's really, I, I think, all about light in the darkest time of the year. And why are you not doing Messiah this year? Uh, we did it last year, and we wanted to do something else this year. It'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it always will be back. We it's can safely piece. say that about yeah. Messiah. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Our guests have been John Nelson, music director of Soli Deo Gloria, K. Scott Warren from St. Ignatius Loyola and Congregation Emmanuel here in Manhattan, the choir director of both, and Mark Shapiro, the music director of the Cecilia Chorus and Cantori New York. Brian Wise is the producer of Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.